boy and girl are making out, right? When they hear over the radio that this lunatic killer's escaped from an insane asylum. That's not the way it goes. The boy goes for help, and the girl stays in the car, and she hears this, like, scratching sound. No, he's been decapitated. No, he was gutted with a hook. Dead. We can't just leave him here. Oh, tell me, little Miss Prelaw, what's the charge for manslaughter? We make a pact. Right here and now we take the Sar grave. For the last year, four friends have kept a secret. Are you on drugs? No. Well, then what is wrong? I've had a rough year. But not all secrets stay buried. Somebody sent this to me. Oh, my God. Someone knows. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. What they thought would be a new beginning. A toast to us. Is becoming a dead end. Somebody tried to kill you last night. We have to go to the police. If he wanted me dead, he could have done it. And the mistake they made. It was an accident. There was no accident. It was murder. What if he's still alive? Hey! What are you doing here? Is coming back to haunt them. Oh, my God. He's after me, too. I got a letter. I got run over. Helen gets her hair chopped off. <laughs> Julie gets a body in a trunk and you get a letter? That's balanced. She's waiting for us to unravel. <laughs> the wait is over. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? Hello? summer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Definitely First Blood. We are a horror movie podcast. We talk about horror movies pretty much from any time. Yeah. We try and focus on the earlier stuff, so like the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Mm-hmm. But as is the case of today... Oh, no, wait. Today's the 90s. Never mind. Yeah. It feels like it was yesterday. Does it? Yeah. I don't want to wait for a night <laughs> to me. Oh. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The whole thing. So it is... Well, it's not currently, but it's going to be for us, Canada Day weekend. For the world. And for you guys, like the States, I'm not really sure how it works like do you guys get monday off and have to do stuff on tuesday or do you just get tuesday off i don't know how that works what's their holiday fourth of july yeah yeah see i don't the even whole think point about of it. the movie we're talking about i don't today. even think about it that it's gonna be july well canada day is july 1st yeah but i don't think about canada day either okay <laughs> well i mean i was just talking about it literally so i know i know um how have you been I've been good. How are you? I'm good. Excellent. Anything, any interesting stories? No, we really got to start uh, doing more stuff, though, so we have more stuff to talk about in our little pre preambles here. I thought you had a little visitor. Well, that was two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, when this chipmunk got in the apartment. But anyway, um, I guess we can just start talking about 
the movie if we don't have anything to talk about but we really need to start working on yeah stories and anecdotes to tell at the beginning of these or if people are going to get bored that's very true so the movie the movie this week is going to be i know what you did last summer classic 97 thriller horror slasher post scream just post scream but immediately after yeah one of the only july 4th themed horror movies i could really think of i like it it's a hard one to pin a concept down on i guess the killer could be like a kill people with american flags oh or like like just in fireworks like okay yeah or like in this movie there was the uncle sam on the stilts like he could have really sharp stilts and like step on you Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you should write it down, bud. You got to write those down. I know. P- little pearls. I'm just giving them out, putting them out there to the creative commons. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you did last summer. Yes. Again, that is what we will be talking about. Directed by Jim Gillespie, written by Kevin Williamson, stars Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prince Jr., and Ryan Philippe. Very 90s. Yeah. I wonder if Ryan Philippe was uh, jealous or if he felt left out because he only has two names. Probably. It was like a time when uh, really if you have three names, you're either a 90s star or someone who assassinated a president or like John Lennon. The guy, the killer had three names. That was the point. Well, yeah, I get that. Sorry. I should have used an Oxford comma. We begin with a classic 90s swooping shot of a coastline being battered by the waves. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of um, The Lost Boys. I guess not really from the 90s. No, that was the 80s. Not really here nor there. So yes, a swooping 90s shot in my classic 90s style to match this classic 90s cast. We get a slow zoom in on uh, a dude hanging out on the cliffs. Yeah, there's a, a dude sitting atop the uh, the bluffs looking over the ocean. Yeah. And um, he's playing with like a necklace, kind of like the one from Sleepy Hollow. Oh, like yeah. Where you like spin it and it yeah. reveals a full message and it says, I love you. And he takes a big swig from, like, a whiskey bottle or something. Yeah. He's not having a good time. No. And then the fireworks going off in the town uh, interrupt his thoughts. Yeah, it's kind of like a ironic contrast. Yeah. So then from there, we go right to downtown South Point. Yeah, South Point Community Theater, where it appears there is a fashion show and this is the one piece swimsuit portion of it yeah it's the 4th of the it's the 4th of July croaker festival uh, and we're seeing helen played by sarah michelle geller in the croaker queen pageant she looks like she's going to take the prize uh, we get to hear her answer uh, her skill testing question or I don't even know what those questions are supposed to be evocative of their personality now, in the in spirit, the spirit of, Mother of Mother Teresa what will be your contribution to your community and the world at large well Bob at summer's end I plan to move to New York City where I'll pursue a career as a serious actress it's my goal to entertain the world through artistic expression 
Through art, I shall serve my country. Uh, and then in the balcony watching, mm-hmm. we also have our other three main characters. So there's Julie, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, mm-hmm. Barry, played by Ryan Philippe, and Ray, played by Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. And uh, Freddie Prince is commenting on her breasts. Yeah, how great they are. He didn't notice how ample they were. Yikes. And uh, Ryan says she does these exercises. I wonder what exercises. I don't actually want to know. <laughs> Special exercises. That's dedication to win a pageant. <laughs> I guess, and to be a soap star. Uh, but anyway, Helen wins. Mm-hmm. Exciting. The balcony gang goes nuts, and they even make eye contact with the judge. He's like giving him the like weird face, like, hey, you guys are up there. Oh, I didn't notice <laughs> yeah. that. Immediately afterwards, we got to celebrate in the bar. There's, uh, I, I do want to focus for a second on how bad Julie's bangs are. Oh yeah, they're awful. They're, they're very, they're like gelled into like eyelashes. Yeah, like wispy, clumpy at the same time eyelashes. It's, it's not a flattering look. But I'll look past it, cause, cause she sells the performance, Miss Hewitt. Yeah. So Julie and Helen are speaking of hair. They're making their way into this after party, the 4th of July Mm -hmm. celebration. And uh, Helen is giving Julie some advice. She's saying that it's all about the hair, which is foreshadowing. Oh, she's vain about it. And then we get some exposition about how uh, Julie is going to be going away with hopes of becoming a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And we already know that Helen's going to New York. Seems like they're living their dreams. But Helen runs into her sister, Elsa, and uh, they have a little caddy back and forth. Oh, yeah. Hey, you riding with me? Uh, no, tell Mama I'll be home late. <gasps> Is little Miss Croker getting sautéed tonight? Oh, a twit with a wit. Evening. They do not like each other. And during this time is when Julie uh, runs into Max, played by Johnny Galecki, who it's pretty obvious he has like a thing for her. And he's like, we've been friends in the forever. He brings, yeah, yeah he brings her a, a drink as she refuses. And then that's when he's like, oh, we've been friends forever. Mm. I may never see you again, blah, blah, blah. He's really trying to. Like, you can't just ignore me. Yeah. He's, he's like one of those guys who's like, oh, I'm friend zoned. Yeah, definitely. Like, he definitely thinks that Julie owes him something, which she clearly doesn't because he's a creep. And as they're talking, um, Barry comes up to intercept and be a good friend, so he thinks, to yeah. Ray. Uh, so he threatened, he takes a shot, and then while he's doing that, there's like a weird ADR line mm-hmm. of Sarah Michelle saying something like, well, somebody's buzzed. Yeah. Like just calling it out, just yeah. so it's clear. And then uh, he challenges Max to like a fist fight. Yeah, they sort of like scuffle up a little bit. And then, uh, so Max takes off, humiliated. And the uh, girls and fellas are going to head off to, wait for it, Dawson's Beach. So especially uh, apropos that you were singing that song at the beginning. Uh, Yeah, it was... Was that intentional? I wish I could say that it was, but sometimes... 
broken sundials right twice a day, as they say. It's this uh, great traditional slasher shot of the cast around the fire telling mm-hmm. the story. Um, they're next to this like half of a ship. Like a, a maroon ship that's been like rotted out. I guess at, so the shot is based on some sort of painting. But I, I don't I it. don't I didn't look up the painting. I just That's okay. I'm gonna imagine it. It's pretty good. I like it. Shot's nice too. Yeah, so they're telling the story of the man with the hook. But each one of them has a very different radio that this lunatic killer's escaped from an insane asylum. He's got this long, sharp hook for a hand. Dude, you're telling it wrong. Shut up. So the girl, she gets all scared, right? She wants to go home. And the boy, all hot and bothered, he gets pissed and peels out. No, no, no. That's not the way it goes. Okay, the boy goes for help, and the girl stays in the car, and she hears this, like, scratching sound. It's not a scratching sound. It's a drip. No, it's scratching because the guy's been hung from a tree limb, and his feet are scratching on the roof of the car. No, no, he's been decapitated, and it's the blood from his severed neck that's dripping on the car, and it's going drip, drip, drip. No, he wasn't decapitated. He was gutted with a hook. Look, you're all wrong. They get back to the girl's house and they find the lunatic's bloody hook in the car door. Now that's the original story. That's the way it really happened. Hey, none of it really happened. It's a bullshit ghost story to begin with. No, it's not. It's true. Yeah, I don't think so, Ray. I swear. It's a fictional story created to warn young girls of the dangers of having premarital sex. But Ray is very insistent that his version is the real version, the true, correct telling. Yeah, it's American folklore, and it's all based in reality, (laughs) at least to somewhat of an extent, he says. Uh, Barry and Helen are macking out on the beach as she's like, uh, describing their envisioned future. Her, like she's got it all mapped out their entire life. Yeah, so we need learn that he's going away to play football, uh, but, you know, they're still going to, hopeful that they're going to be together. Mm-hmm. She's going to become a soap actress and then become famous after that. Uh, they'll, they'll get pregnant and then they'll break up because of his drug addiction. <laughs> they're uh, compatriots are elsewhere on the beach they're joshing around with each other sort of playing in the sand and they're having the total opposite problem where julie is having trouble seeing the future for them yeah she's gonna go away and then he's gonna meet some tattooed philosophy at this point i think his plan is that he's going to seattle to be a writer Mm -hmm. how very 90s going to seattle wow there's so much that I didn't pick up on. This is a very dense movie in terms of stuff that happens. Yeah. It's really good. And then she and Ray have sex. On the beach. Presumably for the first time, because he's like, oh, are you sure this is okay? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think I would have sex for the first time or ever on a cold beach. But who am I? From there is where the trouble really starts to begin. Barry is obviously extremely wasted. They have to like support him back to the car, I think. No, it's he's on the car with um 
Helen and they're sort of smooching and then oh, Helen yeah. takes his keys because yeah. obviously he's too drunk to drive and they're trying to do the responsible thing yeah. but he's a little salty about that because he doesn't want anyone driving his car but him uh, so he gives uh, Ray the what for when Ray's gonna drive like he's unhappy with everything Ray's doing he's reaching for the wheel not good uh, and then he finally decides on cranking the radio to something obnoxious and doing like a bachelorette in New York City through the limousine moonroof while he's like screaming and hooting and hollering. It's very dangerous. Super dangerous. And proves to be dangerous because he spots something in the road, but... Get out of the way! Yeah. Because yeah. he... Oh, yeah. He drops the bottle of the alcohol into oh, the car. Yeah, and it gets everywhere. And that's when Ray is looking away just as our fisherman is standing in the middle of the road. Barry spots him, tries to say something, but obviously there's going to be no way for them to stop. So the body flies over the car, covers Barry in blood, and then when he ducks back in, Helen is worried because like he's covered in blood. Yeah. But he says it's not his. Dun, dun, dun. And they... They assume it's like a deer. And they just or sort of want to leave, but Julie notices that there's like a Wellington boot lying in the road. So they uh, investigate further mm-hmm. after she finds the boot. And that's when they find the body on the side of the road. And his face is all messed up, so they can't tell who it is. Yeah, it's covered in blood. Uh, and I guess at first I was like, wow, they really immediately go to like, oh, we have to cover this up. But I have to remember they're like teenagers. Yeah, they're teenagers. And Julie and Helen want to call the police and Mm -hmm. it's really ray who sort of initiates that uh they could cover it up yeah and then barry gets super into the idea because he was like so angry that it happened in the first place yeah he's pissed about his car they're all worried about what's going to happen if they get arrested because even though ray was sober and driving for some reason he thinks they're not going to believe that he was driving because there's like they spilled the booze all over the car so everyone's going to smell like booze it's not i mean it's not like they can't test i don't know i'm not going to try to pick it apart because when you're i imagine that when you hit someone and you think you've murdered someone collectively you probably aren't thinking straight Mm -hmm. barry thinks uh that they should just drop them in the water yeah, in which they sort of proceed to start doing. They don't they like pick him up by his ankles and wrists. Uh, they don't do that until Max shows up. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll so in the in the distance, we see a car or a truck start to pull up, and they start to freak out because obviously they don't want to get caught. So it's pretty clear that they're moving a body as well. Yeah, but we're assuming it's dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they go to put it over the side of the road like the divider not the divider the thing that stops you from driving over the side of the road and max pulls up so julie goes up to talk to him the other three are in the background pretending barry is puking sick and that's why they stopped max notices though that the car has been totaled but he just julie sort of brushes it off as a 
don't drink and drive. Yeah, not a great way to cover it up, I guess. But... And then Max tries to go in again. He's trying to like really weasel his way in with uh, Julie here. And then Ray joins her, interrupting the flirting, and he and Max really have a little bit of a cat fight. Yeah. What can I do for you, Max? You can wipe that my shit don't stink grin off your face. Okay, Max, will do. Have a good night. You almost got that rich boy act down, right? We'll be seeing you, Max. Max is like wipe that shitting grin out off of your face, which is pretty aggressive. Yeah, that's entitlement for you, I guess. Max like acting like that, like oh, I deserve to be having this interaction with Julie right now. The gang does the natural thing as you do. Uh, they load the corpse into the back of the car, uh, and bring it down to a dock. It's a very long dock. Too. Yeah. They have to really carry him quite a ways. And it's very well lit dock. So I feel like there'd be ample opportunity for them to be found. This is a very risky maneuver, in my opinion. Ray starts to have second thoughts when they get to the... I mean, what a time to start fucking doubting yourself yeah. is when you're already way too deep. When you're like 90% in, all you have to do is dump him in the water. Yeah. So you think. And like, even if you called the police at that point... I guess you could say you were going to drive him to the hospital. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. No one's willing to push him in until Helen says, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. And Barry actually gives him his whole, like, MO when they're talking. Because when he's trying to convince them to just go through with it, he says Mm -hmm. to pretend it's a maniac with the hook for a hand. Oh, yeah. And if this guy was alive, that's probably where he got the idea for that specifically from. That's true. Very true. As like a meta revenge, like you spoke this into reality. Yeah. Ah, That would be a huge mindfuck, (laughs) which it is. So Helen decides to help Barry put the body in the water, Mm -hmm. but he shoots up alive just as they're about to do it and he grabs her crown from her head yeah and they all sort of well they don't all he tumbles into the water and barry immediately dives in afterwards because helen's like my crown my crown which would be obviously a dead giveaway one oh of, definitely of who it was and two as we learn later there's only the one crown and she like, has to give it back yeah. so she really does have to man she'd be so screwed I feel like losing that crown would be, like, so hard to explain. Oh, definitely. Probably have to pay to get it replaced, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Those uh, costume jewels are not cheap, (laughs) believe me. As someone who's tried to hand-make a tiara before, it's all about craftsmanship is what I'm saying. Yeah, it seems like (laughs) it. I guess you would know. When Barry uh, jumps in the water, he has a hard time finding the corpse initially, but eventually he finds it next to these big kelp forest trees. There's like a sea kelp forest underneath the water. Yeah. And amongst them, our fisherman, or I guess we don't know he's a fisherman yet, but the body is amongst the kelp holding the crown. And as Barry approaches, he opens his eyes he does let go of the crown, go- though, so yeah. that's good. 
And then Barry swims up to the top and he's really pissed off. And he makes them take a pact that they'll take this to their grave. And he's like legit, like screaming at them. And never, ever, under any circumstances known to God, speak about this again. Is that clear? It is now merely a future therapy bill, agreed? Ellie! I'll never mention it again. We make a pact. Right here and now we take this to our grave. Agreed. Julie? Don't you noise your head, you fucking say it! Yeah, okay. We take this to our grave! Let me hear it! Let it go, Barry! You fucking say it! Okay, Barry, we take this to the grave. Really intensely. He grabs Julie by the throat when she's hesitant to take the pact and makes her do it. Yeah, let me hear you. And Ray just lets it happen. Yeah, so naturally when they part, or from then on really, they're not on good terms anymore, Julie and Ray. No, that's like the end of their relationship. Yeah, right there. And as they're leaving, we see that the necklace from the opening scene is on the dock. It must have fallen out of this guy's pocket. Uh, Clues. Cut to one year later, Boston University, Julie in her dorm room with her body, her, her hair has no body at all. And she looks like she's aged like 10 years. They make it seem like she's not wearing makeup. But really, they put more makeup on her to make her look sick. Yeah, she looks tired, exhausted, guilty. And her roommate is trying to cheer her up and saying, like, come on, you're, you're going to go home for the 4th of July weekend. It'll be fun and sun and just go home, basically. Her roommate, who in the sequel is played by Brandy. Ooh. Continuation of the same character. Nice. Yeah. I thought so, anyway. I like it. Julie's roommate drops her off at her mom's house. And uh, Julie's mom is so excited to see her because she hasn't seen her or heard a word from her in a year, basically. They have a very awkward dinner together where JLH is barely touching her salmon. She's moving the salmon around. It's it's very flaky, it would appear. So her mom naturally thinks she's on drugs. Yeah. Because she looks like death. This is what she says. Pretty intense thing to say, but I guess it's true. And this house itself is pretty intense. Every wall is red. Blood red. That was a thing in the 90s, though. I feel like red walls. Definitely much more popular than yeah, it is now. Definitely. Don't get me wrong. I love me an accent wall. But it was very, it was very red for me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Julie's mom comes upstairs while Julie's looking through all of her childhood possessions that she feels so alienated from post-murder. She's looking at all of these pictures of her and her dad. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we're to assume her dad died for some reason. And uh, her mom brings her up this piece of mail that was delivered with no return address. An amazing penmanship, too. Yeah. 
like really spot on creepy perfect she opens it up and we get the title of our movie i know know what what you you did did last last summer summer. that's do they have those hallmark cards where you open them and it plays like the venga boys or whatever but it it does that i really can't remember we should we should look into that i think that'd be good for when you write a spooky letter you can open it Ooh. (laughs) no okay uh, she doesn't know who sent it, where it came from, because there's no return address. And she's pretty, Julie is pretty evasive with her mother afterwards. She's like, oh, it's nothing, and pounds her way upstairs. This would be very upsetting, and she stays up all night. Yeah, the healthy thing, just staring into the letter. There is this uh, very interesting shot, actually, where she hears the noise outside, and then it's like a craning exterior from her window over to this rustling tree yeah ominous wind moving through the trees seasons changing for the worse the next day julie decides uh to go into town and she heads to shivers department store which is helen's family store and she asks elsa helen's sister if she could get Helen's New York number. And Elsa is like, <laughs> she doesn't have a New York number. And if you want to uh, talk to her, why don't you just look over there at the perfume department? El- Elsa says it in a much more cutting way, obviously. Elsa is a huge bitch, though. She is really mean. She is really mean. She, well, she is the boss, I guess, of this department store so you gotta lay down the business lay down the law (laughs) julie goes to the fragrance counter to talk to helen who is very excited to see her yeah and uh she shows her the note and the two of them sort of freak out a bit together while elsa watches on extremely suspicious yeah very ominously like she's eavesdropping yeah uh they go to Barry's weird house on the lake. Yeah, uh, his like huge '90s McMansion yeah, style thing, all white, uh, with absentee mother in Beechwood uh, kitchen. Not remember he has like a he like yells. Yeah, it shows her though. Yeah, but she doesn't give a shit. Okay, about him yelling. Yeah, but she's still present. She's not absentee. Yeah physically present but spiritually (laughs) elsewhere she's on the phone she's probably placing an order on qvc or other things that i can project onto her we learn that barry and helen have broken up duh yeah uh it turns out murder does not bring people closer together yeah and he's still an asshole he says they both look like shit yeah like really really rude and then he gets angry when they say that they think someone knows about what happened yeah because they call it a murder and he's like it wasn't a murder it was an accident and that's when julie tells helen and barry the story of who she thinks they killed we didn't murder anyone he was still alive when we dumped him in the water do we have to rehash this it was an accident the guy was in the middle of the road his name was david egan who david egan He was found three weeks after we... 
His body was caught in a shrimp net not far from Miller's dock. It was in the paper. I think the police called it an accidental drowning. You can call it an accident all you want, but he died because of us, that's certain. So Barry asks about if Ray knows, and Julie says that they broke up. They haven't been in contact for almost a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry's like, oh, well, it's probably Max. That creep. And Julie and Helen co-signed because he was there. They yeah. don't know who else it would be. So It makes perfect sense. Uh, so they go down to the docks because Max is now a fishman, a longshoreman, a fish mover. A fisherman. He's weighing the fish. <laughs> and... They have words, and Barry asks him to, like, step aside. So they go and talk privately in the back. And classic Barry, he pins him up against a piece of ice and, like, threatens the crap out of him yeah, he's with like, a hook. I'll kill you. And then he slices his face, Alex's, or uh, Max's face, with the hook. And because Max is such a pathetic wiener, he waits until Barry's gone to like start yelling at him that he's going to call the cops. Yeah. Uh, you just wait. Like, oh, God, it's really cringy. As they're leaving, wouldn't you know it? Right. They run into Ray. Also a fisherman. Yes, also a fisherman, he says, yeah. for almost a year. Yeah. And uh, immediately uh, Barry and Helen leave. <laughs> Helen's got to go back to work, and Barry's just sick of this shit. Yeah, uh, so now it's Ray and Julie all alone for the first time in a long time. Julie fills him in on the, the situation with the note, and he fills her in on the situation of his life. Mm -hmm. And again, specific reference to the fact that he doesn't know who his father is outside of knowing that he worked on a boat. Yeah. And I don't know why this lack of a father thing is so important maybe it's like setting it up as like a red herring like oh could he be uh, a maladjusted youth because he was raised in a single parent household <laughs> i guess the same as julie as well and we mm. know that helen has we only see her father so maybe we could assume that she's also a single parent yeah and we only see Barry's mother. Yeah. And but we do hear about his father. Helen's dad is, again, like physically present, spiritually absent. He's staring mindless. We'll, we'll, we'll get to him later. Anyways, uh, everything starts getting too real for our dear Julie. So she pieces out. And then we head back inside where we see a still pretty pretty sore yeah he's riled Max, up he's riled as he's up. steaming crabs angrily steaming crabs okay i wasn't sure what he was doing at first so thank you for verifying that he was steaming them <laughs> um but it's irrelevant because he gets stalked by a man in a slicker a spooky silhouette becomes seen in the steam rising from the steamers and he can't see who it is so he like peers into the smoke mm -hmm. and then he gets hooked through his lower jaw yeah and Ugh. dragged over the steamers Ugh. not a good thing to think about happening to you 
or me it me was, specifically is it was what a I good was shot too about. i thought yeah showed a lot of i don't know it was kind of gory like it, it showed it go all the way through his chin Ugh. Ugh. no thank you so uh max has been hooked on a feeling it's the next morning and Barry is at his early morning kickboxing punching gym where he's punching and kicking. It's nighttime, I believe. Oh, actually. I see. So the same night. Yeah, the okay. same night. So he's punching and kicking. Uh, and he's all alone. Or is he? There's a shadow that sort of moves around the gym. Yeah, he thinks he hears something after this like very 80s style workout montage of his. But he brushes it off and goes to take a shower where he hears something again. And he like does the traditional horror movie, hello, no yeah. one answers. So he finishes up his shower, goes back to his locker, and there's a Polaroid of his car stuck to his locker that says, I know. Very ominous, but he thinks he's the only one in there. So he decides, I'm going to go back and check to see if they ran into the showers, but no one did. He starts to investigate and he comes back to his locker. And this time he finds that his jacket is gone. So he chases after the guy who stole his jacket because he hears his car start. Hastily yanking on his clothes. Uh, And he runs down the street after his car, uh, which I believe stops and then turns its headlights on and starts chasing after him. And I will give him credit. He does not do the Prometheus thing of just running straight down the street. He like dips and weaves around. So (laughs) good on you for that. You otherwise asshole character. (laughs) The car finally catches up to him and then... Uh, runs him over through a wall yeah like through a shack and a, a shanty a yeah fishing shanty or something like down onto a dock so like the car is like leaning over uh his body is all smashed up uh, assuming because he just lies there the killer gets out of the car starts looming over him pulls out his hook and starts like i really liked that shot too yeah. like the sort of upward pov shot and it was scary. Because he was upside down. Screaming. Yeah. Like, don't know. Um, and then we fade to black and open later on at the hospital. Yeah, Ray. Julie is Julie. just arriving, and Ray is already there with Helen. And uh, they're like, oh, my gosh, we have to go check on him. And he's alive, if injured. He has a broken arm. He's a little banged up, but otherwise he's fine. And he they he knows that the killer would have killed him if that's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So he deduces that the guy's just fucking with them. And can I just say, this is a critical weakness in his approach because you can't kickbox a car. He should have trained for that instead. This is a very big oversight on his part. It was. Yeah. He'll have to take car kung fu in the future. <laughs> they can't go to the cops because for obvious reasons. Uh, and all that Barry really knows is that it was a guy in a slicker. Yeah. So they think, uh, let's 
track him down and then murder him all over again or whoever it is i don't know that they were going to murder him i think they just wanted to confront and or beat up whoever it was because at this point i think they're still thinking it was max true helen eventually says well let's look into this guy and see if we can find his family and then talk to them Helen has this amazing outfit on too. It's this chartreuse tank top Mm -hmm. and high rise denim shorts. It's a very 2018. Like she looks like she works at Urban Outfitters. Yeah. And she just might. She just might. Uh, Helen and Julie follow this idea to check up on the fam and they head back to Julie's house to do some very 90s computer searching yeah on their ibm like inch and a half thick laptop and i guess despite julie knowing or thinking that she knew that this is the person that they killed other than finding his name she's never actually looked him up before yeah not so in depth. through this 90s computer action they find a bunch of news articles linked to his name And we learned that he had a girlfriend who died uh, a year prior to Mm -hmm. the car accident. And uh, they find his obituary where it says that he's survived by his mother and sister. So they know that he has family. And they also, I think Julie remembers the tattoo uh, that he had on his hand that was the same as the fiance's name. Susie. Yes, correct. So it's like, oh, shit this really really is the guy uh the uh they immediately go to the uh egan family homestead i gotta say i really like the character development in this movie a lot like the conversations with julie and helen specifically in the car i i felt like were really good yeah as they're driving there Helen's like, what the hell are we going to do? Be like, hey, sorry we murdered your brother. Yeah. What exactly is the plan? I mean, we're just going to ring the doorbell and say we killed your son and we're in the neighborhood, so... Look, I thought we'd scope it out and play it by ear. Don't you think we should have some sort of a plan? Uh, they decide to uh, park a little down the road, though, so they have an excuse because they end up pretending like their car broke down and they need to use the phone to call AAA. Yeah. Uh, and they meet uh, David's bro- uh, sister, who is this, like, ice blonde. It's Anne Heche. Yeah, skinny. I believe she was dating Ellen DeGeneres at the time. Oh. Yeah. Weird link. I like it. Also, the Egan family house is the same house as The Conjuring. Okay, I was going to say, it seemed very familiar for some reason. <laughs> Uh, that's good to know. Yeah, that's good. To I know. thought that was really interesting st- too. Actually, when I read that, I was like, "Oh, it's a storied house. It's three storied." Nobody answers the door of said house, so Julie and Helen head around the back to peep in some windows when they're startled by Missy Egan. Yeah, right behind them, reflected in a broken mirror, uh, and. Uh, Julie awkwardly is standing up on a chair the entire interaction that she has (laughs) 
while while they're out there in the scene. So she's like a foot taller than Helen. <laughs> it's <laughs> I liked it. Um, and they, they oh you know our our car uh, their car broke yeah, down car and broke they down. need to call AAA as we said yes so. Uh, she takes them inside because she's a nice person. Mm-hmm. And uh, Helen is goes to use the phone, and she's surprised to see a slicker hanging up. They oh. also very awkwardly give each other code names. Oh, yeah. Judy's like, okay, Judy, go use the phone. Thanks. Angie. Yeah, like... <laughs> You know, as we as we always do, saying our full names to each other. And he's just such a good job in these scenes too of being so creepy. She's very creepy, like too creepy. Her scenes were done over two days, and basically, she just said, "I had two days of being scary." <laughs> they wanted an actress for that part. Someone, even though she's barely in it mm-hmm. they wanted someone with a lot of screen presence yeah well she certainly had it uh they start asking her a bunch of questions like they say oh I, you know i remember that name uh, i went to this high school uh was so and so your brother or something like that i don't remember how they get on the track Helen exactly does a bluff She's like, oh, I think I remember your brother. Didn't he always hang out with that guy? Oh, gosh, I can't remember his name. But they were like best friends. To try and dig for some info. Mm -hmm. And Missy's like, you know, I can't really remember anyone. Well, there was this one guy. One guy. He he stopped by not too long after David's death, and and he came to pay his respects. Really? Oh, yeah, he was a really... Nice guy. He was cute and smart, and <laughs> well, we were we were sweet on each other for about two minutes, but it didn't it didn't work out. You know, he he, didn't, he never really said it, but I think it hurt him to be around me. Where's his old friend now? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Do you remember his name? Billy. Did he have a last name? Blue Billy Blue. And uh, Julie starts freaking out with guilt. So instead of waiting for their fake AAA. Which is never going to come. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting and weird too initially because Missy offers them tea while they wait and they're both like, yes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what are you going to (laughs) do when no one comes? How are you going to get out after? It's a bad lie. Better better to plan ahead on that car ride. So they go to wait in the car. And uh, they're talking it over. Uh, and she's like, you know, do you ever think about how you know, we killed this guy and we ruined everyone's life all around him? And then there's a jump scare. Yeah, where uh, Missy like loudly knocks on the window and is like, ha because they forgot their cigarettes. Yeah, definitely warranting a a, a loud and scary knock and, and shout. Uh, but miraculously, it turned out all the car needed was a pack of smokes because it starts working yeah, again. Yeah, she notes that, though. Yeah, and they drive off. Suspicious. 
They arrive back at the Shivers residence, and before uh, getting out, Helen and Julie have another, what I thought was a good moment, where Helen is telling Julie how much she misses her and how they used to be best friends. Mm -hmm. So what now? Now we try and locate this Billy Blue. Maybe he wanted to die. David Egan. His girlfriend was killed on that same road July 4th, one year earlier. Maybe he blamed himself. Maybe he was sitting in the road waiting for us to hit him. Yeah, if that'll help you sleep at night. What happened between us? We used to be best friends. We used to be a lot of things. I miss you. Julie's pretty cold. Like, she doesn't seem to reciprocate this um, feeling yeah. at all. Yeah, it's sort of like... It, it, she seems very resigned, like, the past is in the past. Like, I, I need to acknowledge my guilt for it, but there's no going back to what it was before. I can see that. Yeah. I just didn't... It's kind of sad. Yeah, it actually. is sad. So Helen gets out of the car and she heads inside. Her father doesn't acknowledge it at all. He's just sitting there watching football. Loudly. Loudly. So loudly. Uh, And she heads to the kitchen and pours herself a Coca-Cola. A Diet Diet Coke, of course. Um, Meanwhile, in the doorway, front hallway, looms... The slicker. The fisherman has snuck his way into the house unnoticed. And I almost wish, I guess it wasn't really a big thing in the 90s, but I wish this was all a continuous shot. Oh, that would have been so good. It is still pretty good, though. It is. We essentially follow Helen as she moves through her house, and the whole time we can see the shadow, so we know someone else is there. And then she finally gets to her bedroom, and we see that her closet door is open. Yeah, and it's a classic 90s, like, shutter shade. So she changes, and uh, then Elsa comes in to be a total bitch again. Hey, is the washed-up, dried-out husband having a moment? What do you want? We're doing inventory at the store tomorrow. I need you there by 10. I can't. In the parade tomorrow. Well, Dad, put me in charge of the store, and I want you there by 10. The outgoing queen has to ride in the parade prior to the pageant. It's tradition. There's nothing I can do about it. You and your hair. Just so pathetic. You can leave now. So very pathetic. Elsa calls her like a washed up, dried up beauty queen. Yeah, and she's like, uh, she's fucking nineteen years old. And it's like pathetic, so pathetic. Something I thought about this for the first time was mm-hmm. really how stupid it is for Elsa to be saying this to Helen because 
how is Elsa's life any different? If anything, it's worse because she's like 25. Yeah. Still living at home. Mm-hmm. Working at her parents' store. Well, she's managing the parents' yeah. store, I guess. Maybe it's just gone to her head. Who knows? Like, girl, how's your life any different? It's so rude. It's not. That's just like thing. needlessly cruel. And you can tell, like, Helen doesn't seem to even be like, ah, I can't wait to go to this parade. You know what I mean? She has to go. It's tradition. Yeah. That's the end of her peak, I think, is what she's sort of looking at it as. Yeah. Because this was her one thing. Being an actress didn't work. Mm -hmm. Her life is kind of in the shits. And this was like her one thing that she could hold up and say like, yeah, but I'm the croaker queen. So naturally, her sister's got to really fucking rub some salt in that wound. (laughs) The next morning, uh, she awakens... To find her crown is on her head. Uh oh. Warning sign number one. So she obviously takes it off and she notices that there's hair stuck in it. Yeah. Her hair has been um creatively layered. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically the Rachel. Yeah, except very uh <laughs> it's abstract. Yeah. Yeah. And we know she cared about her hair so much. Yeah. And definitely true. She really freaks out. <laughs> The killer has written soon in lipstick on her mirror and she punches it. Yeah, like smashes it. A couple times, actually. Yeah, pretty. Oof. I mean, it would be fucking terrifying to know that they were in your house touching and cutting your hair. Definitely. She calls Julie mm-hmm. and Julie's going to rush over. But as she's driving over, she can hear this like scraping noise in her car. It's... So she pulls over. And she slowly approaches her trunk and there's like a couple nice head-on shots of the trunk just being a trunk um but like being there ominously making the noise and when she opens it she is horrified to find max's body wearing barry's jacket and he's covered with and filled with crabs yeah coming out of his mouth in every which way yeah there's a lot of ice in there as well so she slams the trunk closed mm-hmm. and she runs to Helen's house. Yeah. And Barry and Helen are chilling on Helen's bed. And the three of them return to her car. And when they get back, there's nothing in the trunk. It's impeccably clean, actually. Like way too clean. And they're just like... I think maybe he must have used a tarp or something, right? Must have. To like line it. Um, to really fuck with her because that would really fuck with you but and then she does the iconic uh what are you waiting for while she screams at the god what are you waiting for huh what are you waiting for yeah and she's got her like arms out behind her like like she's like chest like Argh. so according to jlh jennifer mm. lequette uh, this scene was never actually supposed to be a line. Uh, it was done by a fan who got the chance to visit the set mm. and choose a moment for somebody to do something. So she says that she was never supposed to say the line and it wasn't supposed to be in the scene. And in her recollection, 
The fan suggested that she stand in the middle of the street and spin around saying, what are you waiting for? When she was told about it, she thought it was dumb. And what normal person would do that? Yeah. But in retrospect, she says she really likes, she has a warm place in her heart for the scene now because she's happy that she got to do it for, quote, just some kid who loved horror movies. (laughs) I will say I could not find confirmation if this was true or not. Interesting. But she did say it in a 2015 interview, so we'll take her word on it. Yeah, I also feel like Julie's at a very precarious place in her life, and uh, this mindfuck may have been the click-clack that... Essentially, she's looked like she's on the edge of a breakdown the whole time that we've seen her since the accident, so... I think she just went, like, a step to the... And we know she's not sleeping. Yeah, not good. She's Well, how can she? She has to stay up all night and make sure that note doesn't <laughs> change or anything. Uh, uh, Helen is wearing a really tragic hat, too, to oh, cover up her hair. Oh, the hat. How could I forget? Yeah, I couldn't read my notes. I wrote Helen, arrow, awful hat, black, bad. <laughs> I guess she's, like, really ahead of her game on this athleisure trend, too. Yeah. She's wearing, like, a sports bra and like leggings and running shoes it's kind yeah, of a nice like hotter than the hat yeah which is like a jennifer lopez sort of hat oh it could have been made out of denim oh it probably was it was 1997 it's man. like it's like a, a chef's hat but in its early stages before it's grown to full size <laughs> the three of them go to get ray mm-hmm. and when they come up across him barry punches him in the face because he thinks he's behind it yeah because you're always trying to fit in with us yeah and so abnormal trying to fit in with other people ray says that it's not him he got a letter which i think is funny because as barry mentions helen got her hair chopped off Mm -hmm. he got run over by a fucking car and julie got a body in her trunk yeah You got a letter, though. But maybe that was par for the course, that he's trying to make Ray look suspicious as well. Or Ray can't read, and the killer is mocking his illiteracy. (laughs) We'll let you, the reader, decide. (laughs) They figure out that David Egan was class of 92, and Helen realizes that Elsa was also class of 92. So they're going to go check his or her yearbook mm-hmm. to see if they can find a picture of Billy Blue. And they can't, but they find a picture of Egan. And then uh... Julie thinks that the person who claimed to be Billy Blue with Missy was also probably oh, yeah. lying about his name. And Ray is suspiciously really trying to dissuade them from investigating this Billy Blue lead any further. Mm-hmm. So uh, Julie's like, well, let's take this book to Misty. Missy. Missy, yes. Not not the gym leader of the Cerulean City gym. My, my apologies. She's going to go by herself because Ray doesn't want to go. And Helen and... Barry have the Croker pageant to attend. Mm-hmm. and the, Well, the parade first, then the Croker pageant. And Ray's like, let's just leave town. 
um, and Julie's like, I'm not going to leave town. I want my life back. Yeah, she gives him an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. At the parade, uh, there's floats, there's stilts. Helen is, I'm assuming, wearing a wig? No, she's just fixed her haircut. Oh. She did a very good job. It's back to what her Buffy haircut was at the time. You know, that's very true. It's just like yeah. a lob. Yeah, it is sensible, <laughs> but good. So either she managed to squeeze in a hair appointment or Barry has a second calling as a hairstylist. Oh, I like that idea. I like that very much. Uh, so Barry is riding, uh, picture it if you will, on the float there's a large clam like Venus emerging from the sea upon which Helen is perched and at the front of said float, sort of just legs dangling off the edge, is Barry on the lookout. Well, they're both on the lookout. She's obviously worried, and they have this cute exchange where Barry like makes a face back at her mm-hmm. to cheer her up. It was very telling. Uh, and... Uh, the parade stops, and as it does, Helen spots a man in a slicker in the crowd, and she starts screaming and pointing for Barry to go after him. Barry's on the chase, uh, and he like runs through a bunch of obstacles and eventually tackles an old-ass dude in a slicker. It was a false alarm. Who he, even though he realizes it's a false alarm, he continues to, like, hold by the lapels angrily. <laughs> like, it's his fault. It's a false alarm. Julie is back at Missy's, and again, there's no answer at the front door because apparently this bitch is never in her house. Yeah, uh, but you know what is at the house? A turkey hanging from the tree. She sees all of these animal carcasses, and she follows them out back As to do. find Missy, who approaches her angrily with a knife. Yeah, she's advancing upon her, uh, and she's like, what are you doing here? Uh, so, uh, back at the parade... Mm-hmm. Helen is trying her best to be vigilant. I assume Barry was unable to join back up. Yeah, well, parades move quick. (laughs) Uh, And she notices that our slicker fisherman is... Harder to find than she initially thought. Yeah. Because it's like a Where's Waldo, where there's several other people wearing the Waldo outfit. It's like a fishing village, so everyone's very slick. Then she finally spots... The real hook man killer fish. Because he's got the hook, just like Waldo has uh, the red and white stripes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, You know how they'd have the ones where it's like, it almost is Waldo, but it's not. This is the one that is because he's got the hook. Yeah, like Lady Waldo and stuff. Yeah. Fuckers. So unoriginal. (laughs) Missy is pretty reluctant to uh, look at the yearbook that Julie's brought to see if she can find Billy Blue. And she's ominously cleaning fish. Well, the whole while she's talking to Julie. Chopping them up. Julie starts to come clean. She says that... There's more to it than that. I know. You know what? Well, he killed himself. He what? Yeah, he, he went up there to die that night. That's where Susie died. See, the whole town 
blamed him for her death. So he blamed himself. But how do you know it was a suicide? He left his note. I had to keep this hidden from the insurance company because they wouldn't, they wouldn't pay me the money, you know, if it was suicide. Uh, that don't much matter anymore because his uh, money's been spent. That's it. This isn't a suicide note. This is a death threat. What are you talking? What, what are you talking about? That means if it wasn't David Egan. Who was it? Yeah, because Missy completely rejects it. He didn't have any tattoos. Yeah, Julie tries to say that she saw his tattoo that mm-hmm. said Susie, the girl who died in a car accident the year before. And Missy says that he didn't have any tattoos. And Julie finally puts it together that, oh, it wasn't David Egan. Ah, so she goes speeding back to town. Meanwhile, the at- Croker Queen pageant has begun. And we get like a see-through screen effect, which I kind of liked, where the camera swoops down to the main stage, and then we cut directly through the screen to see backstage, where Barry's like, I won't let anything happen to you. Don't worry. He's going to watch from the same balcony that they watched her win a year before, and she has to get on stage to be present while all of the contestants do their talent portion i see just sit there and watch in an armchair no thank you No thanks. She gives some absolutely amazing side eye, though, when this uh, woman is singing so terribly. She even at one point is like, Jesus. Yeah, like audibly. (laughs) The woman, I don't want to sound too spicy here, but she's probably 30 plus. I didn't look up the actress. It didn't make any sense. And Helen's like 19. So of course she won the year before. Yeah, not fair. Well, who knows? Maybe maybe she's actually getting her GED. She just looks. That's that's why Elsa's so mean to her. She's like, God, you're 35. You look better than me. And, And he threw it all away. Okay, this is my fan fiction. Meanwhile, uh, Helen is on stage. She's distracted by this terrible singer, but she's not distracted enough to not see that the slicker is about to attack Barry, who is up in their old spot in the uh, the boxes. Yeah, like I said, he's up in the in the balcony watching. Mm-hmm. And through these spotlights, she can see the figure of the fisherman approaching behind Barry. And for some reason, the entire crowd decides to hold her. Like, aggressively hold her back. Physically restrain her. It's bizarre. It 
truly is. And then a police guy finally shows up in the crowd and they finally let her go. They go up to the balcony and there's no sign of Barry or the fisherman. And they don't see any blood, although we pan and there's like a little bit splattered on one of the posts. But the yeah. fisherman, a, yeah. A cute little drip. Probably laid down drip. some tarps. Drip. <laughs> The whole while, this cop is being super patronizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, oh, come on, I'll take you home. Uh, and the pageant director, like, takes the crown from her. Which is really sad that they need it to crown the next person. I believe in most of them, it's not the same crown. Each year, it's a different crown. Yeah, I think but I guess so it's too. a small town, low budge. Yeah, probably. Not exactly a lot of diamond tiaras to give out eh, I you'd think they would drag one up in the nets every now and then but who am I to say so Helen confesses to the whole thing to the cop I don't think she did or did she just say this guy's out to kill us I believe that's it uh, okay. I don't think she said anything about the hit and run or anything okay fair enough uh, and there is a police barricade in the road as the cop is condescending and and sloughing this off. Uh, so he says, oh, we'll have to go through this narrow alley instead. Not a good sign. He's talking to her like she's crazy, and she calls him something like a shit stick Mayberry-ass reject. Yeah, man. I also wrote that down because I was like, excellent $5 insult. You little shit stick Mayberry-ass reject. There's been a murder. And you're going to fry in hell if you ignore it. It's a good Kevin Williamson line. Very screamy. (laughs) And there is a truck with its hood popped uh, halfway into the alley so they can't get around it. And the cop gets out to help. And Helen realizes that it's the killer. And she screams for the cop to look behind him. But he turns around to look at her and then when he turns back he gets hooked mm-hmm. and killed so now helen's locked in the back of this police car with no way out and so begins one of the best horror movie chase scenes i think it's very extended too yeah uh she runs from the car when she finally breaks through the window she kicks through the window after trying to like break the cage and everything mm-hmm. She crawls out, and the chase begins. There's this really cool shot where she's running from him, and it's just like the both of their silhouettes, and it reminded me a lot of Halloween. Actually, this whole sequence sort of reminded me of Halloween. Yeah. I think it was a nod. It was really good. She, she runs straight to their family store. <laughs> she sees that Elsa's working, and she runs as much like Michael Myers in Halloween, the fisherman is following behind her at a slow pace. Yeah, inevitable. She's banging on the door for Elsa to let her in, much like Tommy Doyle in Halloween. True. And Elsa takes her sweet-ass fucking time. Even though her sister is, like, screaming for her life. Genuinely. Is going on. Just do what I say, goddammit! 
So it's very similar to the Tommy Doyle scene in Halloween. And even when Elsa finally lets Helen in, Helen is like, call the police, do as I say, goddammit. Yeah. Which is almost verbatim what Laurie says. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. That's a good parallel. So Elsa locks the door as Helen goes upstairs to try and call the police. But as Elsa is going to the back door, we see that someone had just come in the back door. Uh-oh. She goes back to the front door, I think. And that is where? Uh, no, she's because she's going to lock the back door. Oh, I see. And it's while she's locking the back door that the guy who just came through that door then comes up behind her and hooks her in the neck. Yeah, so we get her bright red blood splattered all over the window. Then it shows the fisherman carrying Elsa's body through the store with the hook through her sternum. Like and it's I a thought piece that was meat. pretty intense, Ooh, actually. Pretty gross. Gross way to think about a human body being carried like that. The phone situation isn't working out for Helen. And she calls for Elsa, and there's no response, naturally, because she's dead. Yep. So she slowly makes her way back downstairs, past all of these mannequins that are covered in plastic for the evening. So many mannequins. And as she passes them, she realizes that one of them is definitely the killer. Yeah, one of these things does not belong. And the second she does, she turns around and the killer still with the bag over his head lunges at her. Like a like a haunted house sort of scare, but it's actually very scary. He knocks her over and uh she's able to get away. And he's a little bit behind, so she runs to the back door, one of the back doors, yeah. which is also locked. I'm assuming this is like the delivery bay because of the the like the, the big pulley wood. system. Yeah. And she gets on top of one of the elevators and starts manually like pulling herself up uh, as the killer frantically tries to hook her through the slats. He's like swiping at her feet and just as she disappears upstairs and the killer takes the stairs to head her off upstairs can i just say there are too many mannequins (laughs) there are too many you don't need that many mannequins it's like their whole attic is just mannequins and mannequin accessories too many mannequins you're asking for trouble in my opinion so she saves herself by jumping out of the window and into the garbage tell me about it pretty good move she got cornered and that was really the only way out if she wanted to try and survive oh definitely it disorients her a little bit but she does get up and she starts running and she's running through these alleys there's all these trucks parked at weird angles and there's fireworks going off so it's giving the whole thing this really weird contrast She finally makes it. She has to only has to go down one alley that's lined with tires. A lot of tires. She's feet away from the crowd. For some reason, 
she stops to turn around and look, and then that's when she folds into and she's like six feet away from the parade, like right there. Ugh. Tires insulate well, I guess. And it fucking sucks because she—I thought she was a really good character, and Me I guess too. maybe I have a little bit of a bias because of my love of Sarah Michelle Gellar. But Julie's kind of granola. Yeah, like she's very flat. Like just what? like her hair. Oh. oh, what's the mistake that she makes? Being forced into going along with this, having to deal with an abusive relationship. Yeah, pretty. I don't know. Whatever. Julie has figured everything out. So she uh, returns. She finds that the theater's empty, and then she goes to the docks where she finds Ray. And tells him everything. She thinks it's a guy named Ben Willis, mm. who is Susie's father. And he's the one who killed David Egan. And now he's the one that's after them. Yeah. And Ray invites her on to the boat. And as she's about to get on, she notices the name of Ray's boat. Which is? Billy Blue. Ah. And he's like, wait, wait, I can explain. She immediately thinks he's the killer and she runs off. Because, you know, here's the thing. If if you're the killer and you're going to go telling people your name's the same name as your regular non-killer persona's boat, you're an idiot. It's just bad form. <laughs> you tell it naturally as the name of someone else's boat, perhaps someone already involved with the crime. But then again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I've already seen this movie before, so maybe I shouldn't be so hard on Julie. Nonetheless, he chases after her, and as they're running, he gets clotheslined by a mysterious fisherman. Yeah, and who's like, oh, get on the boat, hurry, like, to protect her. Uh, and as she gets on the boat, she happens to notice something familiar, her own face. There's pictures of all of them, including a picture of Helen at the parade earlier that day. Ooh. So he was like really on top of his printing and developing game. And he probably had like a, a inkjet printer, early inkjet, <laughs> which would be hard on a ship with all the ocean spray, smearing it all the time. So I admire his dedication. Maybe he sealed it with tape. He finds her. She initially tries to play it off <laughs> but then he knows that she knows and she knows that he knows that she knows mm -hmm. and basically she's fucked yes yeah i'm in a lot of trouble it's a shame being it's fourth of july and all kids like you should be out having fun drinking party running people over Getting away with murder. Things like that. Uh, she runs off, but as she gets outside, she sees that the boat has already departed from the docks. So she's double fucked. She goes for the emergency kit that's right at the front of the boat and takes out a f pack of flares. And just as she's got it in her hand, Ben Willis slams the gas 
which in turn knocks her hand into the boat and she drops the gun. Mm -hmm. This scene with the boat was shot on uh, the Cape Fear River. Ooh. Yeah. It's it's extra spooky. I guess. Yeah. Because the fear is in the name of the river. Well, there's a movie called Cape Fear. Exactly. It's double. It's double. Because it was already a movie and it's got fear in the name. And it's where they filmed Cape Fear. Wow. So it's even more of an overlap. Yeah. What's, what a coincidence. What a coincidence that they happened to film it there. Interesting. Why is that a coincidence? I'm making a joke and pretending that it's a coincidence when really I know that it's not. But by feigning ignorance, it's like cute. Like, oh, this this fucking guy. He doesn't even know how uh, location shooting works. <laughs> They're on the water. Ray's giving chase in his own wimpy little boat that's going vroom, 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 chasing after them. And he gets on just as Julie is fighting uh, to stay below deck. She's got the gr- the the grid above her or whatever it is the grill above her while the guy with the hook is uh trying to rip it out of her hands from above so naturally ray and mr hook hands get into a duel of sorts on the bow they start fighting on the deck and julie is frantically trying to figure her shit out in the hull is that what it's called yeah there's a lot of gears and ropes and pieces of chain moving around so i don't blame her for not being immediately so she's blocking doors and stuff but then what like what is her game plan uh she's gonna live down there yeah she's on a boat (laughs) she's she either needs to kill the guy or marry him no escape somehow she doesn't know how to fucking steer this boat she championship swimmer she's headed out to the middle of the sea or ocean or whatever the fuck this thing is yeah we okay next time we rewatch this movie we need to check to see if she had any swimming trophies on her on her wall while she's going over all of her things just in case or shipbuilding who knows She's locking herself in, and she's going deeper and deeper into the ship. And then she decides, oh, well, Ray's upstairs fighting, so I'm going to pop my head out and try to help him out. Yeah, and like an idiot, she screams his name as she's watching them fight. So she distracts him, and then Ben hits him off the boat. Yeah, like... Luckily, he gets caught in one of the crab nets though so yeah and it sort of like swings around and he's it's like Cirque du Soleil for the for the next like couple of minutes as he's a monkey climbing his way back up onto the boat she deeks back down into the guts of the ship and she undoes the barricade that she did previously for again some reason the guy ends up trying to come through that door. Yeah. And then she crawls into some sort of waterway. I think oh, that's where they keep the, the crabs, I right? was like, oh, I thought it was where they keep the net. And then the ice is where they keep the crabs. Oh, I'm not sure. I feel like when... I don't know how boats work, so I'm not even going to try and pretend. I just think that that's like a well where when they bring up the crab nets... 
they put the crabs oh, in yeah, there. Oh, yeah, and then they sort through it and put it in that. Yeah, that makes sense. So she gets into that area, and it's very hard for her to lift these doors, but she manages to make it through. She wraps her cardigan around the handle of the door and slides it up. But then she leaves the cardigan on the handle. Mm-hmm. Not and it's, thinking. again, it's what's what was your plan there? Because if you're planning of just like hiding and you leave your sweater there, he's obviously going to know where what door you went in. Yeah, it's not going to be like, oh, she thought that door was cold. How nice of her. She really respects my boat's needs. But she does shut the door, and then she starts uh, piling the ice in front of it yeah. as if that will help at all. Like, oh, he won't be able to get through this, even though the ice is clearly fake plastic. It's gelatin. Oh, actually. really? Yeah. <laughs> That's gross. And she uncovers Helen's body and Barry's body. Yeah, pretty scary. I think it's Barry's body. I, it was the TBH, the prosthetic was unclear. I'm not sure if it yeah. was Barry. I think it must have been Barry. Yeah, they were pretty waxy too. So Yeah, but also it could have been the cop, I guess. True, 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 true. Two for one. Uh, so naturally, when you're trying to hide... And you see a corpse. You got to scream, scream, scream. <laughs> Top of your lungs, which she does. Cause she's very good at it. Uh, and uh, then our killer pulls open like a trap door mm-hmm. sort of thing where she's down below. And Ray at this point has gotten the upper hand and he swings like a rope with a hook a big ass pulley and a hook on it and it hits hits the guy right in the right in the noggin somehow not breaking his nose yes plays him out immediately behind uh and then they embrace ray and julie but as as the killer gives some advice to Julie immediately. I they I don't think they embraced yet, no. did they? What do they do? Because the killer wakes up and then he corners Julie. Happy Fourth of July, Julie. Please, it was the accident. I know all about accidents. And let me give you some advice. When you leave a man for dead, make sure he's really dead. He raises the hook up to get Good Julie, and then the rope wraps around his hand, and he goes flying up into the air. Yeah, rip- and then it rips his hook off. Hand and his hook off, hook hand. Ray uses his superior knowledge of boats to time all that perfectly <laughs> with the with the ropes and everything. Yeah, but uh, he falls back down uh, into the water. And presumably dead because his hand got ripped off and he's probably bleeding everywhere. And he's lost in the middle of the sea. Yeah. Never a good place to be with or without a hand or two hands. (laughs) And now Ray and Julie embrace. Uh, And uh, the the cop comes up. This is, I guess, cut to slightly in the future. And uh, the cop wants to know if they know any reason why this guy would want them dead no no idea (laughs) because now it's fine that they hit him with their car because he was a bad guy yeah and they were justified in actually killing him for real this time so it was actually good that they hit him and tried to cover it up yeah well i mean not for them not for them 
Yeah. For Julia was. And Bray. Yeah, and Missy. True. True, yeah. true, 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 true. She finally got some, like, knowledge. And either way, she would have gotten the insurance money. Very true. But we don't see any closure to her story. So she's just left yeah, with this mysterious uh, girl who told her cryptic things about her brother. And then we cut to another year later. Yeah, she is... Uh, Julie, that is, is back at university, and she's got a swing in her step. Yeah, we know she's doing better because her hair is very voluminous. Yeah, gleam in her eye. She's got away with legitimate murder. She's fantastic. Oh, important to note that uh, after they talk to the cops, then we see the net coming up, and it has the hook hand stuck in the net. Oh, true. It's like, oh, that's all we could find. Uh, It's like the hook stuck in the car door that Ray was so insistent upon. Except instead of a car, it's a boat net. I like it. So a year later, we've got Julie doing much better. Uh, She's taking a shower while talking with Ray on the phone about Mm -hmm. boning and stuff. And her unseen friend outside says she got mail that she's brought for her she goes out the exact same handwriting except this time it's an invitation to a pool party from a fraternity no less so she's smoozing it up she heads back into the shower it's extra extra steamy in there now super steamy and uh she walks up to the mirror which says I still know what you did. Does it say that? No, No, it just says, says, I still still know. Ah, and then the killer. We hear the ding of the the spinny necklace. And then the killer jumps through the shower mirror, whatever it is, at her. Talk about going to extreme ends to get your revenge. And then we get, I still know what you did last summer with Jack Black. Perfect. But that's the end of this one. Just what everyone was asking for. The Jack Black one, not the end of this one. I don't know. I liked it. Me too. It's it's a classic, I think, in terms of modern-ish. I guess it's 20 years old, 21. But still. Definitely. I liked how it didn't have, like, it did have a big cast of people, but it wasn't like oh, we're going to go to the cabin with our 15 friends just so seven of them can die in the first 15 minutes. Our main characters didn't even die until the last 20 minutes. Yeah, it was great. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Very well crafted. It was, (laughs) but it was when Kevin Williamson was in his prime, so. But as I normally do, it is time for me to tell you a little bit about what I could find about the production side of this. I'm excited. I couldn't find a lot about the actual production production stuff, um, but I do have some stuff, and it's not a lot, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. I'm excited to hear it. So I Know What You Did Last Summer is written by Kevin Williamson and directed by Jim Gillespie, and Jim Gillespie hasn't really done much since. Hmm. This is like probably his biggest movie which is kind of weird considering it was like a pretty big financial success yeah he did another slasher movie in 2005 called venom which i've seen but i don't remember it being very good yeah i haven't even seen it and i watch the worst ones (laughs) so it was shot in north carolina except for the cliff scenes which were shot 
in California, kind of by a town called Jenner, California. And it's because North Carolina is very flat. So they wanted more interesting looking coastlines. And it was shot in 10 weeks, seven of which were all night shoots. Ooh, that sucks. And it was a budget of $17 million and it ended up making $72 million in North America and another 53 worldwide. Not too bad. And it was a cultural phenomenon. I wouldn't say it was a cultural phenomenon, though. Fair enough. Because it was just sort of in the wake of Scream, which I would say was a cultural phenomenon. This was Kevin Williamson's first after Scream, but he had written the script prior to Scream. Ah. But he uh, couldn't really sell it. But as soon as, obviously, Scream was made and it was such a huge success... Uh, and a game changer really to the horror genre in the 1990s. Columbia Pictures bought the scripts from him for I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh, that's great. The story itself, though, is based on a novel by Lois Duncan from 1973, where four young characters are involved in a hit and run with a young boy. And the boy murders them. No. (laughs) Uh, I think it's his brother or something. Oh, nice. Uh, Kevin Williamson retooled the core elements to be more like a traditional 80s style slasher movie and so his father was a commercial fisherman which so he changed the setting to a small coastal fishing town Mm -hmm. and the author of the book lois duncan actually really hates the movie because it had little resemblance to the actual source material and her daughter was murdered in 1989 when she was 18. Ooh, not a good combination. I know, that really sucks. But, yeah. I mean... I mean, not never good to have your daughter murdered at any year. It kind of sucks that... I, I assume that the only reason they talk about that at all is because it has the same name. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, I don't... I think it could be a completely different thing because it's not like that's a hugely original idea no not at all there's a hit and run and then consequences yeah who would have guessed (laughs) not me there's a hit and run but everything's fine worst movie ever so in terms of casting uh sarah michelle geller originally read for julie and she actually ultimately ended up being the last of the four leads to be cast in Obviously, she was Helen, and Mm -hmm. she was chosen for Helen because she had a warmth to her, but she could also come off being a bitch. That's a quote (laughs) by the director talking about casting. And Jennifer Love Hewitt originally uh, was considered for Helen, but she was then cast as Julie because, and this is another quote, of her ability to project vulnerability. I really think Julie is an awful final girl, though. I've she doesn't really do anything. She does a lot of uh, driving around. She does no real fighting back. If anything, Ray is the final girl. Yeah, that's so true. And even the investigating, what does she do? She drives Very the house little. twice and Googles some stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Which is why Helen was so much more deserving to live. Oh my God, does that mean that I am also an investigator? I don't know, man. I move around. I regularly Google stuff. You've seen me. 
Googling away. I know. You're constantly using that Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess not my local libraries, uh, <laughs> local news database, though. So Not often, anyway. I need to shape up. The character of Barry was supposed to be like a hulking quarterback type. Yeah. <laughs> but Ryan Philippi nailed his audition. So they cast him in the role despite him not really fitting the physical bill. And I think it actually kind of works with his whole character because he's like a failed small town athlete. Oh, definitely. And he's a huge fucking brat. That and just like such a good It adds to the sense. character. Yeah. And Freddie was cast as Ray because of his, quote, everyman quality. <laughs> uh, but according to him, he had auditioned for the role of Billy in Scream, which he obviously lost mm-hmm. and it went to Skeet Ulrich. Um, but Kevin Williamson assured him that he would have a role in I Know What You Did Last Summer, whether or not he auditioned. But he had to read for the role five times Yikes. and he was certain that he wasn't going to get it. And it was going to go to Jeremy Sisto who had uh, previously beat him up for roles in clueless. Ooh, that sucks. Yeah. Jeremy Sisto kind of had a shitty time in the nineties too. Not that this relates to him at all, but he also was, Right up until pretty much the end, he was going to play Jack in Titanic. Oh, what a difference that would have made. There's even like test scenes and stuff with he, him and Kate Winslet. I hope it's reading where, the lines. where they're on the, the bow screaming. No, I don't think so. It's Damn just it. like when they're first meeting, really, when he's in her room after uh, saving her. I see. But anyway, so, oh, one kind of interesting thing. Yeah, that I almost forgot was that when they were shooting, so Jamie Lee Curtis and Jennifer Love Hewitt, triple names, uh, had previously worked together the year before on House Arrest, which is that movie where they lock their feuding parents in a basement until they reconcile. Yeah, I mean, classic classic American tale. And... (laughs) Outside of TV, because Jennifer Love Hewitt was in uh, Party of Five, as was Nev Campbell. So there's another screen connection. Mm. Uh, Jamie was also shooting a movie in North Carolina at the time. And she came to the set to wish Jennifer Love Hewitt good luck, which is also pretty easy. Our Six Degrees of Jamie Lee, Jennifer Love Hewitt, House Arrest, Jamie Lee Curtis. Also House Arrest. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, bam. That's that. I love it. Um, anyway, it seems like everyone enjoyed filming. Uh, in an interview in 2017, when he was promoting that Wish Upon movie uh, about the wishes that go Upon? bad. Oh. I don't know. I've never seen it. But Me Barb either. from Stranger Things is in it. So, oh. there you go. If you wish for a movie with Barb from Stranger Things in it. There you go. So he said that he remembers how exciting it was to make the movie because he and the rest of the cast were young and they were all on the cusp of really breaking out and becoming famous. Yeah, all of them. And so they would be occasionally foolish. That's, I don't know, Ooh. weird, weird words to use, I guess. Shoot heroin? Uh, 
Well, he and Sarah Michelle had the idea to take his rental car onto the beach in North Carolina where they were filming, and it ended up getting stuck in a sand dune. So they had to try and get it towed out before production realized. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) And Freddie Prince Jr. uh, was the oldest of the four, and he remembers that because he was 21, he was the one of the four that always had to buy the beer (laughs) oh dear and then another kind of funny thing obviously is that this is when sarah michelle geller and freddie prince jr first met and obviously they're now married with kids oh yeah but they didn't even start dating until three years later hmm that is really interesting it it their relationship aged like a fine wine or yogurt (laughs) I couldn't find anything really wild and crazy or super dramatic about the production. Um, But it's a really good example of like the 90s version of the Brat Pack. Yeah. Because it's a lot of hot young stars of the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. Like you've got Ryan Phillippe and Sarah Michelle who would go on to do Cruel Intentions. And then obviously Mm -hmm. she was on Buffy. And then Freddie Prince Jr. did his whole thing with She's All That. And then Jennifer Love Hewitt, I Can't Hardly Wait, stuff like that. Um, I don't actually think that Sarah Michelle Gellar and Jennifer Love Hewitt like each other very much. Oh, no. I seem to remember, like, I feel like I heard a rumor about that before. And then, so when I was researching for to talk about this, I looked it up because it came to my mind and all I could really find or the most recent example of what I could find was this interview with Sarah from 2014 on some Australian morning show and they were like showing her pictures of her previous co-stars and it was like a game where she had to say what like the first thing that came into her mind when she saw them Mm -hmm. and when Jennifer Love Hewitt came up, her response was actually, like, kind of shady. Oh, no. So I actually have the audio clip saved because I wanted okay. to put it in here. Uh, next one, Jennifer Love Hewitt. My goodness. I, I know what your boobs did last summer. Because <laughs> whenever you see that movie, it's just a lot of cleavage. <laughs> do you know what she's talking about? Yes. Yes, yes. Okay, right. He, just he just make sure. I've yeah. also seen that movie. <laughs> do, you, do you stay in touch with her? I haven't seen her in a long time. Yeah. Uh, she, LA is so segregated that unless you sort of live in the same area and your kids are sort of in the same, you don't run into people the same. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Granted, my I'm not usually drawn to cleavage, but I didn't happen to notice it in this movie particularly egregiously. Uh, yeah. You get to, like, there's a lot of, like, nipple through the shirtage. Uh, they were wearing one pieces. Anyway, uh, it breaks my heart a little bit because my very first website that I made, probably around this time, because it was right after I saw this movie Mm -hmm. for the first time as a kid, so I was probably like eight, and I made a Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar fan page on Angel Fire. Oh, I love it. Was it part of any web rings? It probably was. I can't super remember, and I wish I could remember the URL because I would love to Wayback Machine it. But it was my first website. I was just learning HTML. So that yeah. was interesting, I, I guess. That's such a good connection to the movie. And then uh, when I was a kid, 
we've talked about this before. I used to recreate movie scenes with my toys. Yeah, man. Like I would do the uh, the elevator scene from Speed. Mm-hmm. And one of my faves was I would recreate I Know What You Did Last Summer because I had this like red car. You know the ones where you like pull it backwards? Oh, yeah. And, and then it, it drives forward. Yeah. So I would use that for the car, and then I had like these little dog figurines that mm-hmm. I would get at the dollar store. Definitely, that I would use as the the characters. So there's like an Afghan hound that was Helen, but anyway. Nice. So this movie always has sort of a special place for me in my heart. I like it. Yeah, that's adorbs. And we might see more of it. In 2014, it was announced that they were planning to reboot I Know What You Did Last Summer mm-hmm. with uh, writers Mike Flanagan and Jeff Howard, who did Oculus and Hush. Hush is really good. Yeah, I liked Hush a lot. Yeah. And so far, nothing has come of it, but Mike Flanagan has said that he hopes the project still moves forward. So might not be the last that we see of the franchise but i hope it does it would be very brutal if he did it i guess maybe if halloween does really well it'll sort of spur Ah, that on but then just like scream the flip side of that yeah would be scream getting remade or something Um, and i i don't know if they could ever do that makes sense um but yeah so that was our Fourth of July Canada Day episode. Extravaganza. Yes. And that's that's yeah, all, yeah. folks, I think. That's so all. I don't know what we're gonna do next time. Maybe Sleepaway Camp. Yeah. We'll see. Nice, nice. But I don't wanna uh, blow our yeah. load on these no big name classics. movies too too soon. Me neither. And yeah, so thank you so much for listening. Thank you. We are definitely first blood, as you know, since you just listen to the whole podcast yeah and if you're just tuning in now hello <laughs> uh you can follow us on twitter at deaf first blood on instagram at definitely first blood and obviously if you're listening to this you've found us through some way but our website is definitely thank you so much for subscribing um and if you like us thank you pop, yeah pop up a comment Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.